play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, more commonly known as Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry's is famous for ice cream flavors like Fish Food, Cherry Garcia, and Chubby Hubby. But back in 1984, when they had their scoop shop in Vermont, they are believed to be the first to sell chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream after somebody anonymously suggested it on their flavor suggestion board. Ben and Jerry opened their very first scoop shop in Vermont in 1978, but today they are just as well known for their activism that sometimes takes them out to rallies and protests. How many arrests? Oh, I don't know. Not not that many. Three or four. Ice cream and activism seem to go together like hot fudge and whipped cream. I chat with Katrina Urban, who created Ice Cream Social to raise money for good during the pandemic. And later in the show, we'll talk about anosmia. That is the medical term for not being able to smell or taste, which is a very common COVID symptom. But first, my conversation with Ben and Jerry. Are you guys ready to get started and tell the same stories you've told a million times, but pretend like you've never told them before so it sounds fresh on my show? No problem. Okay. I understand that you met in seventh grade in gym class. Is that right? Yeah, we were the two slowest, fattest kids in the class. (laughs) And then before you opened an ice cream business together, coincidentally, you both had a little bit of ice cream work in your younger years. Yeah, I was an ice cream man. I had a a job in summers in my uh, later high school years and driving one of those trucks, ringing bells, selling strawberry shortcakes and eggclairs for like 25 cents a piece. And when I was in college, I worked at the school cafeteria. I was scooping ice cream. But when the two got together to start a business... Ice cream wasn't their first idea. Originally, it was going to be UBS, United Bagel Service. We were going to deliver bagels and the New York Times on Sunday morning to your door. But we wanted to live in a, in a rural place. You know, this was 1978. I mean, that was before bagels really had taken over the country. We realized that there weren't that many people living in rural places that really wanted the Sunday New York Times and bagels delivered to their door. And also, we started investigating and bagel equipment was too expensive. We couldn't afford it. So we figured ice cream had to be cheaper. So Ben and Jerry took a $5 correspondence course in ice cream making from Penn State. They cobbled together $12,000 and they opened their very first ice cream shop in a renovated gas station in Burlington, Vermont. But the most interesting fact about Ben and Jerry's is why their ice cream is famously packed with all those delicious chunks and nuggets. It's because Ben can hardly taste or smell anything. Yeah, I'm a bit anosmic is what it's known as now, not having a sense of smell. I mean, I I can smell things a little sometimes, but in terms of most food that I eat, it's mostly about the texture. So I needed ice cream that had a lot of textural contrast, uh, the smooth, creamy ice cream with the big, crunchy chunks. 
you know, Jerry would make the ice cream and he'd say, hey, how do you like it? I'd say, well, it's great, but I don't know what flavor it is. <laughs> so we just had to keep on sticking more and more flavoring in until I could figure it out. Ben is very anti-mush in terms of food and food textures. He just doesn't like mushy things. And he claims that it's not just him, that it's America doesn't like mushy things. When we were growing up, Ben used to talk to me about wet crunch versus dry crunch, like potato chips, they're dry crunch, but you can get lettuce that's like wet crunch. And right. yeah, I had never even thought about these things. It, I've interviewed some of your flavor makers before, actually, for the show, and they said it's actually quite hard to put all these big chunks in because you have to worry about them sinking to the bottom and not getting mushy. And that's what the chocolate coating's all about, not just delicious chocolate, but protecting these crunchy items from getting soggy. That's correct. And I think that the chocolate does a better job of protecting the potentially soggy substance in a flavor like... Chubby Hubby, where you got the chocolate-covered peanut butter-filled pretzels versus Jerry's favorite flavor, Americone Dream, where you got the chocolate-covered pieces of sugar cones, but the chocolate tends to get chipped off in that product, and you get some soggy cones, which Jerry doesn't mind. <laughs> well, it, it just goes with the territory. It's part of the whole eating experience, Ben. I mean... If you were going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, you'd be missing out on some great flavors. Ooh, you could make a bathwater flavor. That'd be good. <laughs> you just have to decide who has been soaking in the tub before you turn it into ice cream. Or we could use sugar babies, the other part of the baby in the bathwater. There was also sugar daddies. Where's the sugar Here's mommy? That's so sexist. I don't think they had any sugar mommies. <laughs> Ben is a bit anosmic, which means he doesn't have much of a sense of smell or taste. You've probably heard that this is a common symptom of COVID-19. Probably 80% of patients who get COVID have some change in their sense of smell or taste. Um, and most of them, that change is pretty temporary. That's Dr. Sandeep Robert Data, Associate Professor of Neurobiology at Harvard Medical School. He's been studying smell for the past 15 years. And as far as COVID's concerned, they don't totally understand why people lose their sense of smell and taste. It looks like cells in your nose kind of temporarily get shut off or damaged in some way, like a light switch. Uh, and after a couple of weeks of healing, the light switch gets turned back on and your nose works again. In the patients that lose their sense of smell for longer, for months, it looks like the cells that are responsible for actually smelling, the neurons in your nose that detect odors, those cells might be really getting damaged by the virus and it takes a long time to rebuild those circuits and, and to heal that kind of extensive damage. Uh, but the vast majority of patients with COVID should get better pretty quickly, given the data that we have now. A lot of people who suddenly lose their sense of smell and taste experience depression, anxiety, and isolation. And part of that is losing the joy that comes from tasting and enjoying food. But Dr. Data says the depression is mostly because smell is so closely linked to memory and emotion. They are physically located right next to each other in your brain. When you touch or see or hear something, it has to travel a long way through your brain to get to the place that registers feelings and emotions. Smell is very different. Smell is a super ancient sense. So it's like your sense of smell is hardwired for emotion and for memories for that matter, much more than for the other senses. 
And so, you know, this explains why when we um, smell something that reminds us of our grandmother's kitchen, we can be overwhelmed with emotion very quickly. He says smell is believed to be the very first sense to evolve. Humans, you know, I think we're, we're very much used to thinking of smell as being a kind of convenient accessory to our other senses, right? It's the bonus sense, the one that we don't really need. It's not as important as hearing or vision or touch. But in truth, because we humans have maintained this uh, very intimate interconnection between emotional centers in the brain and our noses, it turns out that we depend on our everyday experience with smells to kind of maintain our sense of emotional well-being. So as we kind of navigate our environments, you know, we know that those environments are familiar to us and safe in part because we're smelling familiar odors, and that drives activity in the emotional centers uh, in our brain. And it turns out that's very, very important to our overall sense of, of well-being. And if you can't smell things, you also can't really taste either. Dr. Data says flavor comes from both taste on the tongue and from smell. So you get flavor from aromas that you breathe in through your nose, but there's also scent that travels up the back of your throat into your navel cavity while you're chewing. I also consulted with Dr. Pamela Dalton. She's been an olfactory scientist at the Monell Center for 28 years. She says when people suddenly can't taste, they often overeat because nothing is satisfying and they keep looking for something to satiate them. Or on the other hand, they become so bummed out about not being able to enjoy food that they don't eat enough and they lose a lot of weight. People with COVID, they don't just lose their sense of smell. They develop something called parosmias. Parosmias are when you smell something and it actually smells different than it's supposed to. But people with parosmias, you know, they smell coffee and instead of smelling delicious, it smells like gasoline. And that will obviously put you off your food, right, and, and, and drink. And so for those patients in particular, you know, it's a real challenge to find foods that they can tolerate, given that everything suddenly smells, you know, like gasoline or turpentine or feces. And actually, we don't actually know why parasmias tend to be bad. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if everything suddenly smelled like flowers and candy? <laughs> but for, for whatever reason, the way the brain works, when you have these parasmias, they tend to smell pretty awful. So this came up because Ben from Ben and Jerry's, he can't smell and can't taste much. And so that's why their ice cream is so chunky because he wants mm -hmm. all of the texture. So I was wondering, you know, if there were other examples of that, of people you've worked with who've lost sense of taste, things that they've kind of done to make eating a better experience for them to try to recover some of the joy that you get, because we love eating. Like it's that's a big right. deal not to taste. That's right. So I'll tell you, you know, I, uh, when I was younger, myself lost my sense of smell. I had some chemotherapy and after the chemotherapy, I couldn't smell at all. And I had to eat. And that was before I actually knew anything about the olfactory system. So, you know, it wasn't rational, but naturally uh, I gravitated towards a food that and had a ton of texture. And that food was bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches with tons of hot sauce. So it turns out that the way that we detect hot sauce is different from smell and taste. There's basically another sense that we, no one talks about, a secret sense called chemesthesis, where a whole different set of cells and neurons are responsible for detecting things like spicy and cool and wasabi too, actually, hmm. than the normal cells in your nose that are responsible for detecting smells or the cells in your tongue that are responsible for salt or bitter or sweet. Um, there's actually a whole separate kind of chemosensory system devoted to the cooling sense of menthol or the spicy sense of peppers. And so I would just load up on the hot sauce on these sandwiches and I could taste the kind of crunch of the toast and the, the kind of butteriness of the egg. And of course, I could taste the hot sauce. And so for three months, that's basically how I live. 
Dr. Dalton says she has a coworker who is writing a cookbook specifically for people who suffer from anosmia. It'll focus a lot on texture and temperature, as well as spicy and minty flavors. Over the years, Ben & Jerry's has created many activism-fueled ice cream flavors. Everything from supporting the legalization of gay marriage to climate justice and working with the NAACP on voting rights. And when we come back, we will learn about their latest flavor. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Palsbo, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. listening to your last meal you might like watching my new tv show the nosh with rachel bell we just wrapped up season one so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at cascadepbs.org in episode one i convince an east coast skeptic that seattle now has fantastic bagels and in the season finale we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of seattle episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. If you follow Ben and Jerry's ice cream on social media, you know they are very politically outspoken. Last week, when rioters stormed the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., they posted a message that started with, yesterday was not a protest. It was a riot to uphold white supremacy. And it ended with, resign, impeach, 25th Amendment, not one more day. An older Ben and Jerry's post says trans lives matter. In June, they posted, we must dismantle white supremacy. This is an ice cream company, but they use their social media channels to explain reparations and to talk about how the criminal justice system is broken in America. I read a quote. They are activists who happen to sell ice cream um, and you've become just as famous for your political stances and the work you've done in the community and beyond uh, just as much as the ice cream. So I wanted to know where that started. Where did you both get your activism roots? Is that the way that you grew up? Nope. For me, it was when when I realized that, you know, Ben and Jerry's was getting to be well known and, you know, people wanted us to come and speak in various places or the media wanted to talk to us. I felt a responsibility to use that platform to work for justice. I got introduced to political activism during my college years. Because Ben and I were growing up during the Vietnam War, and there was a civil rights movement. 
It's taken a lot of companies a long time to hop on board. I mean, this year is when people are dipping their toe in for the first time. I was wondering if when you started doing activism weaved in with the company, if people kept telling you not to, were you getting a lot of advice that people weren't going to buy the ice cream and your opinions were too strong? Yeah, we were getting a lot of that advice. It was very controversial internally within the company at upper level management and at the board of directors level. And it's something that wasn't done. I mean, it, it, you know, it's kind of like Colin Kaepernick took a knee and it was hugely controversial. You know, now <laughs> they got Black Lives Matter written on the, uh, on the ball fields. Lawyers, business experts, business professors were telling us we were crazy. And, and yeah, there was a lot of concern that People who didn't agree with the stance we were taking were going to pick it outside the supermarkets and they were, and then the supermarkets was going to discontinue our product and people would be out of work and all that kind of stuff. But that never happened. Did you market to reach the right people or did those people just find you? Like, how did you find your niche? Because I imagine it wouldn't work for every product. You just did it perfectly. When you say it wouldn't work for every product, I don't know why. Why wouldn't it work for every product? We're taking stands for justice. We're taking stands that uh, reflect what are supposed to be American values of fairness and equality. You know, most people really believe in fairness and equality. Most people don't want to go around killing people. Most people, their concerns are about education and, and healthcare, housing. And I think most of the things that we support are focused on those issues. Ben and Jerry actually sold their company to Unilever 20 years ago. What is your role in the company now and how much say do you have over some of the social justice choices they make or flavors? I think as Ben likes to say, zero. <laughs> <laughs> we have no responsibility and no authority. Woohoo! Uh, but we get paid. I was shocked to learn this. I never would have thought that a huge global company like Unilever that owns dozens of household brands like Dove, Lipton, Popsicle, Vaseline, that they would be so unabashedly political. Did you include somewhere when you sold it that they needed to maintain these values that you had created for the company? Because it's very impressive to see this continue, the legacy of what you started and all of the activism. I think it was difficult to ensure that there were certain provisions within the acquisition agreement that were designed to protect it. There's probably the most important thing is that there's an independent board of directors at the company that oversees the social mission and the essential integrity of the brand. And those people are social activists and they, they are independent of Unilever Another really important thing is that Unilever, you know, probably about 10 years ago, installed a CEO at Ben & Jerry's who really passionately supported those values of the company. And it's really the people within Ben & Jerry's that are pushing that mission and keeping it alive. I think it's so amazing to Ben and me that the company not only continues its outspoken social mission, but in many ways is just growing it. If you look at the company's statement after the murder of George Floyd, it was stating very specifically, we must dismantle white supremacy. Ben and I were just 
thrilled that the people at the company were doing that and that it didn't come from us. It's nice to do no work and then watch your baby grow and grow up like you. (laughs) (laughs) Over the years, Ben and Jerry's has created many activism-inspired flavors like Justice Remixed, Empower Mint, Yes Pecan, and Bernie's Yearning. And this month, they're introducing a brand new flavor with Colin Kaepernick called Change the World. That's W-H-I-R-L-E-D. And it's going to be a vegan flavor because Colin Kaepernick is vegan. It's a caramel flavor with graham crackers and fudge chunks, and it will feature art on the package that is done by someone who Colin Kaepernick works with. So it's not traditional Ben and Jerry's art. You know, it's very exciting for Ben and Jerry's. It's the first time the company is partnering for a full-time flavor with uh, a person of color. And, you know, Colin Kaepernick has just been so courageous standing up for what he believes in and protesting police brutality. And we all owe a debt of gratitude for the stance that Colin Kaepernick was willing to take in, in a very difficult situation. Does part of the proceeds go to a certain organization or is it more just about awareness? How does the ice cream get the message out and what good does the ice cream do? Well, there'll there'll be a message on the package, but there's also proceeds that Colin Kaepernick donates to the nonprofit he has set up, the uh, Know Your Rights Camp, which uh, is just this fabulous thing. And Ben and Jerry's is, is thrilled to be able to support it. There seems to be a correlation between social justice and ice cream. So, of course, we have Ben and Jerry's. And then here in Seattle, the owner of Molly Moon's Homemade Ice Cream was very involved in working for paid family leave and a $15 minimum wage. And in Madison, Wisconsin, 33-year-old Katrina Urban started Ice Cream Social. I honestly would just call it an ice cream bake sale right now because it's it's something that I do out of my apartment once a week and donate all of the proceeds to organizations fighting for social justice causes. I was working as a graphic designer and a photographer for, I think, about eight years for a company in Madison. And shortly after Wisconsin's Safer at Home order was enacted, I was furloughed from my job. And it was a pretty terrifying thing to think about. I'd never gone through something like that before and just was trying to find ways to fill my time so I didn't like totally enter a state of panic. Um, So I really focused on um, learning new things. I took so many classes on Skillshare and like read a lot of books and then wanted to kind of hone my skills with some of my existing hobbies and ice cream making happened to be one of those. So I came up with this idea and called it Ice Cream Social as a play on social distancing. And my plan was to make little pints of ice cream and then drop them off at my friends' houses. I was pretty over the top about it. I made it look like a legitimate business just for fun because I was so goddamn bored and like (laughs) made a logo and printed stickers and ordered recyclable containers because I'm extra as hell and just like really went to town on this little hobby of mine. So yeah. And so um, how did you shift from just gifting this to friends to turning it into a fundraiser? It was after the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. I knew I wanted to do something to help the cause. After a sleepless night, I came up with the idea of trying to sell my ice cream on Instagram. I came up with the tagline, small batches for big change. And at that point, the the social and the name 
sort of took on a new meeting and it, it was giving a nod to its format on social media, but also to the recipients of its proceeds. Um, and my plan was to just donate everything that I brought in from the sale of my ice cream to different organizations fighting for social change. So in about 24 hours, I think I got everything up and going. And then the next day I had my first sale and it's been absolute insanity since then. So it started, I think June 1st was when I launched this on Instagram. Katrina makes the ice cream in her apartment kitchen using a small pint and a half size ice cream maker. But over the last seven months, she's raised $7,100 for national and local nonprofits. The first one I chose was Campaign Zero. They are a police reform campaign and working to end police brutality in America. Another organization was called Freedom Inc. And they work with low to no income communities of color. And their their goal is to end violence against women, um, gender nonconforming and transgender folks and children um, within communities of color. Katrina started out making basic flavors, but then she started to experiment. Hands down, the most polarizing flavor I have created so far was called Movie Theater Trash Can. And it was buttered popcorn flavored ice cream with salted caramel swirl, milk dud pieces and M&Ms. And people just flipped out about it. <laughs> and like, I got so many aggressive messages and people just saying like, gross. And it was kind of ridiculous over a flavor of ice cream. But yeah, you know, I don't understand it, it, that. If you don't like the flavor, just don't eat it. It's so weirdly aggressive. It, it ended up selling out in like 15 seconds and everyone said it was an unexpected delight. And, you know, it's one of the most requested flavors that I get now. People want me to keep bringing it back. So I think all in all, it ended up really well. Why do you think that ice cream and social justice seem to go together so well? I personally think first and foremost, people just love ice cream. And I think in a way it's sort of a, a unifying dessert just because of how many different cultures eat ice cream or have some sort of variation of it. It's a comfort food. Ultimately, I think there's sort of a shift in what consumers care about and what we want businesses and brands that we support to be doing. I think people want them to be socially and ethically responsible. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of millennials here because I feel like this is a millennial thing. But I think part of the frustration comes from our government and our political leaders and people sort of want to take things into their own hands and, and bring about change because it doesn't seem like they are. If you can have a a positive impact on your community or your the world so just by going to the ice cream or sorry the grocery store and buying a pint of ice cream I think that's incredible and people really care about stuff like that this year Katrina is moving into a commercial kitchen so she can make larger volumes of ice cream and start shipping her creations outside of Madison I ultimately would like to open an ice cream shop one day Honestly, I think losing my job was a blessing and it kind of gave me the push to do something that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And I, I needed that. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever anticipate this happening. It was a hell of a career pivot for sure. I'm excited for the future. When we come back, we'll find out if ice cream is on the menu for Ben and Jerry's last meals. let's start with you. What would your last meal be? It would certainly include watermelon. I'm talking about a nice, firm, sweet watermelon. You know, sometimes you can get kind of a mushy watermelon, which is just horrible. We know your take uh, on mush. Yeah. <laughs> and I think peaches from the Amish country in Pennsylvania, 
they actually taste like real peaches, you know, like the way peaches used to taste 60 years ago. And, you know, as long as we're on fruit, strawberries, Vermont homegrown strawberries, you know, the little ones that also really taste like strawberries. I mean, you get this stuff that looks like fruit, but it doesn't taste like it. Strawberries especially, you know, when you get them from the store and you slice them open and they're white inside. And then ah! if you actually get to go to a farm, which we do have some strawberry farms around here, you know, you can do you pick in the summer and you slice it open and it's bright red and it feels like melting jam in your mouth. It's totally different than the supermarket berries. Yeah, totally. So, you know, that would be ingredients for the fruit cup, which oh. would be the appetizer. I'm really into lamb lately i think i think some nice french lamb chops medium rare to rare with a nice char you know that would be really good jerry what's your last meal i am a total dessert person ben and i were actually talking about this yesterday we went for a walk in the woods social distance and with our masks on but i would have dessert kind of all the time if it were nutritious enough and healthy enough People often ask, do I still eat ice cream? And I eat more ice cream than I am comfortable talking about. <laughs> and uh, I love cheesecake, cookies, creme brulee, German chocolate cake. I mean, I, I sort of like it all. And, and what's interesting about it is, as we talked about earlier, it was just kind of random that we started making ice cream because it's not as if, oh boy, we just absolutely love ice cream and have to make it. It was something that we thought would be fun to do and it was becoming popular for homemade ice cream was making a resurgence, but yeah, I'm just a dessert guy. I also don't eat in moderation. Is <laughs> Ben and I sometimes used to talk about overdoing it and continuing to eat when you're full. And we were just amazed that there are some people who, when they are full, they stop eating. Yes. How, what is that like? I have no idea what that's like either. I've, if I stopped eating when I was full, I'd weigh four pounds. I, yeah. And when I'm yeah. actually hungry, I get so excited because I don't usually wait till I'm hungry to eat because, you know, if it looks good, I'm going to eat it. So <laughs> you mentioned, you know, you love desserts and you mentioned a few, but let's say, you know, for your last meal, you had to narrow it down to like three on this golden table. What would be your top three sweets? Uh, a good cheesecake. I love a good cheesecake. You know, I I would go to ice cream. <laughs> what can I say? I mean, people would be shocked, but I would still pick ice cream. I think it's hard for a band to stay together for a bunch of years. How have you guys maintained your friendship as, you know, business owners and collaborators for so many years? What's your secret to your marriage? We have a lot of meals together, wouldn't you say, Ben? Right. We don't play music. We eat ice cream. <laughs> and that was Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield's Last Meals. Ben never revealed his favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor, so I had to ask. My favorite way to eat ice cream these days is to take some vanilla and 
put it on a, a homemade chocolate chip cookie and, and eat it as an open-faced ice cream sandwich. Do you put your teeth in the ice cream open part? Don't they get that ice cream feeling? You bet I put my teeth in the open part. <laughs> you may have noticed that he still didn't reveal his favorite Ben & Jerry's flavor. Obviously, you can buy their ice cream wherever ice cream is sold. And if you try the new Colin Kaepernick flavor, Change the World, send me a message and let me know how you like it. Special thanks to Dr. Sandeep Robert Data and Dr. Pamela Dalton. And to Katrina Irvin at Ice Cream Social. You can find her at IceCreamSocialWI.com or on Instagram at IceCreamSocial underscore WI. I'm looking at her flavors right now, and the blueberry mascarpone looks delicious. There's a butterscotch blondie, and there's a flavor called the one with the fruity pebbles. This episode was produced by me and Laura Scott, who I have not seen in months. And we had a phone conversation recently, and it was like two people who had never spoken to another human being. We could not stop talking. We are so isolated. Please send help. Theme music, as usual, by Prom Queen. Make sure and follow along on Instagram. I'm Your Last Meal Podcast. Leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It really, really helps get the show out to new listeners, and that means we'll get to continue doing it. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Hello. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You seem energetic and bright and ready to go. <laughs> okay, so while I was working on the show, I remembered that one of the very first episodes of Your Last Meal, I did this really dumb bit about Ben and Jerry's and you know what it's like when you look back at your old work. Ugh. So my guest was Jillian Michaels and she wanted Ben and Jerry's ice cream as a part of her last meal. So I thought it would be funny to interview a couple named Ben and Jerry. Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Jerry. And what's your last name? Fodge. Yes, their last name is Fodge. And as I pointed out in the original episode, it sounds like fudge. So when this couple was getting ready to get married in 1999, Ben's mom threw them this engagement party and the theme was an old-fashioned ice cream parlor. She even taped their faces onto pints of Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Does it get old for you or are you like, cool joke? No, I, I think I really enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny and it comes up at random times. It's not like all the time. Well, you can kind of use it as an icebreaker. So. Yeah, that's true too. An ice cream breaker. If you like. Ice cream breaker. breaker. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> this is not a phrase that I normally use, but I don't think there's anything else I can say, but bless the hearts of these people for indulging me in my dumb bit. But for the record, I do stand by that pun. That was a pretty good pun.